Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Another wonderful day to celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is a very special day because this is Mother's Day. Today we honor our mothers at the church. We commend and lift up the incredible God-given institution of motherhood. We are here to honor your mother and ours together. Today we're going to talk about a courageous mother. A courageous mother. Five lessons that we learned from the life of Jacobet. You know who she is, right? That is the mother of Moses. I must admit, mothers are some of the most intelligent people on the face of the earth. There is nothing we can do, there is nothing we can think that our mothers seem to fail to notice. I mean, how could a person be in only one place and yet accomplish so much? Well, ask a mother. That's what a mother does. How could somebody know what you've done, what you're presently doing, and in fact, they already know what you're going to be doing in advance? How do they know that? That's because they are a mother. In the Bible, mothers played a significant role in the lives of God's people, in the lives of a nation, and for that matter, have been so key to all of humanity. Think of Sarah for a moment. Sarah, the mother who waited on God. Think of Samson's mother, a mother who followed with the man of God courage for today. And then there was Hannah, the mother who just believed that God had a promise he would be faithful to them. Then there, of course, of amazing Elizabeth, the wife of Abraham, the mother who believed in miracles. Then Mary, who, among all the women in the Bible, was as blessed as her. This dear lady was chosen by God to carry in her womb the Savior, the Mother of our Lord. Well, I want to say, uh, as a pastor, and on behalf of the home church, for many here this morning, I know for you, most Mother's Day is a wonderful day. It's a day filled with family and friends and good feelings. But for others, I know it's a confusing day, lonely, and even a very painful day. Perhaps you've lost your mother, or especially lost her, your heart is broken. Perhaps you've lost a child, or maybe the relationship with your mother or your child is difficult. Or maybe your child is not living for the other, for the Lord. And then there are others who... Perhaps our prayers are with you this morning, but maybe you've lost your child. They have passed away. Well, today we're going to, you need to know that today that God is here. He's here for you, and we're here for you. Our love and our prayers are certainly with you today. 
Today, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to give His light on a little discussed but amazing mother. Her name is Jessica. We're going to take a one-week hiatus from the amazing Sermon on the Mount. We're going to speak of a courageous mother. She was acknowledged in Scripture as one of the most virtuous women. She was a mother of three. She had uh, both uh, Aaron and Miriam, and as well as Moses. All three were leaders in the for the Lord. But Moses not only was a great leader of God's people, for that matter, he in world history was one of the greatest leaders ever. Well, it's amazing about Mother's Day. Well, Mother's Day is celebrated all the world over, isn't it? I mean, we've already been reading about it, hearing about it, and you see the pictures everywhere. People are buying cards and candy and flowers. Many men actually will try to help their children buy a gift for their mother, their wife, on Mother's Day. I read this week about one man who was trying to figure out over the years what to buy his wife, and he said, I really can't say what to buy her, but I can tell you five things not to buy her. So he wrote about that. I'll share those with you. He said, number one, these are five things never to buy your wife. Don't buy anything that plugs in. It's seen as utilitarian. In fact, avoid all things useful. New silver polish, advertise, saving hundreds of hours, not with you any really. Number two, do not buy clothing that involves sizes. Chances are one in 7,000 at best that you'll get her size right. And your wife will be offended the other 6,999 times. Do I look like a size 16, she'll say? And too small of a size doesn't cut it either. I haven't worn size 8 for 20 years. Number three, never buy anything that involves weight loss or self-improvement. Not smart at all. Number four, never buy jewelry. The jewelry your wife wants, you can't afford. And the jewelry you can't afford, she doesn't want. Number five, do not spend too much. She'll ask, how do you think we can afford that? If you spend too little, she won't say anything, but she'll think, is that all on work to you? Well, I want you to know, please hear this from all of us, all the mothers here, and certainly all the women as well. Your roof, your work is above rubies and gold. We love our mothers here today. Let's give them our appreciation today. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to summarize this wonderful story, and we're going to dig into the passage of Exodus chapter 2. Let's all bow our heads. Father, today, I thank you for the amazing life of Jacob. Thank you for the truth. Thank you that my heart was blessed this week as I looked into it. I trust that all of our hearts will be brought together this great topic of Jesus Exodus chapter 2 is where we're going to uh, be for the majority of our time. A new king had come into power in Egypt. He was under no obligation to honor Joseph's deeds in Egypt. There had been a special arrangement made with the Israelites, but he didn't keep them. As typical of too many politicians, even today, his fault thinking was. He was worried about the traditional morals of the Hebrew people. 
maybe they would outnumber and overtake their more enlightened Egyptians. So he imposed draconian rules on all the people, on their personal liberty, where they could go, when they could go, if they could worship, when they could worship. Basically, they became an anti state. Their financial policies were so terrible, they made them slaves. Then, in order to control the population, they advocated for the killing of babies. In fact, they actually commanded the Hebrew midwives to practice infanticide. They took the lives of already birthed viable Jewish babies with a special ritual on Jewish little boys, future warriors for God. When these were born, the brave, godly, and courageous Jewish midwives, they simply would not listen to the immoral laws of an evil government. In fact, so because of that, Pharaoh then gave another decree. He said, all right then, you're going to take every child, newborn child, every newborn male, and throw it into the Nile. Unbelievable. Now let's pan the camera over to Jacobin, a wonderful Hebrew Levite woman. She had given birth to a wonderful son from the administration, or she hid it from the evil administration for three months. Exodus chapter 2 says that she couldn't hide him any longer. And so then she took a little basket made of reeds covered with a tar pitch, and she placed her baby inside of that. She walked down to the Nile River, placed that little basket, that little floating, little tiny boat, as it were, along the reeds of that Nile. And as you might imagine, she was going to make sure she watched it, but she couldn't. So she admonished her daughter, Miriam, to do so. And that's what she did. Miriam watched that little baby there. And of all things, Pharaoh's daughter came down to, as the Bible says, bathe in the Nile. She saw the basket. She had the service retrieved. She then looked inside and found a baby crown. Immediately, she put two and two together. She realized this was a, this was a Hebrew child. She felt sorry for the little child who couldn't. Miriam, then seeing all this transpire, she spoke up. And she said, if you would like, ma'am, I will find someone to help nurse that little baby. And she happily agreed. And of all things, Miriam came back with Jacobin, Moses' mother. So Moses got a chance to be nursed by his own mother. And in fact, she was then paid by Pharaoh's daughter to do such a thing. Who can imagine? What an amazing privilege. It is a privilege to raise a child. Plucky Rose Kennedy, mother to President John F. Kennedy, said this, Whenever I held my newborn baby in my arms, I used to think that what I did and what I said to him would have an influence, not only on him, but on everyone he meets. Not for a day or a year, but for all time and eternity. What a challenge. What a joy. What a privilege. And it is, in fact, a privilege. And so this morning, let's look at this privilege the standpoint of the lessons that God would have us to learn. I believe there are five lessons, but I can share those with you this morning. First of all, 
we see that Jochebed married a godly She had wonderful high standards. Let's look at verse number one of Exodus chapter two. Let's read it together, kind of put our minds uh, together on this matter here. So let's read out loud. Chapter 2, verse 1. Ready? Begin. And there went a man out of the house of Levi and took to a wife of the daughter of Levi. The Levites. This was the, the pastoral tribe, the priestly tribe. This was the one tribe that didn't get any land, but they were the ones who would serve in the temple and would minister to people, the tribe of Levi. So they were not of the same family, but of the same tribe. She married one of these preachers. She was a preacher's daughter. It says in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, we actually know his name. God gives us his name. Exodus 6 and verse 20, And Amram took him Jochebed, his father's sister's wife, they bear him Aaron and Moses. All the years of the life of Amram were 137 years. Amram. The name actually means friend of Jehovah. By the time Moses came along, he was the last born. He was the third born. Amram, according to uh, putting the pieces together, was probably about 65 years old when Moses was born. Jochebed, his wife, another Levite, her name means honored of God, or God is glory. And so then let's put the two names together, friend of God and God is glory. I would say that's a pretty good match. So that's this morning we're reminding ourselves that this was a family in the Lord. They had a strong faith. They had a strong faith in a time when the Israelites' faith was forgotten God. Many of them had become idolatrous. And yet they stay faithful to God. And let me just say this morning that the highest principle to look for in a mate is that they are a man or a woman who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, in the New Testament, the great Apostle Paul weighed in on this to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 14, he said, We should never knowingly become unequally yoked with an unbeliever. In that passage, he reminds them that we are pulling together in a yoke. And it's terrible when one's pulling one way and one's pulling the other way. The fact of the matter is, unless a husband or a wife are in full agreement on this most crucial of issues, and that is that they are both full on for Jesus Christ, it is challenging to have a fulfilling marriage. How do we no, this was a God-centered marriage. Well, we're giving a little insight into it in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 11, this great two-two of the New Testament, where he talks about all many of the Old Testament characters. Here, the writer, whether it's Paul or whoever it is, the human author of Hebrews 11, it says in verse 23, by faith, by faith, this was a faith-filled couple. They both of them together. They were equally young. Their heart was on fire for God, for His Word. By faith, they hid most. As they traveled through life, they saw everything through some colored glasses. But were those glasses? They were the eyes of faith. Every decision, how will this affect our spiritual life? 
Every purchase, how would it affect our spiritual life? Everything that they were going to do, how would it affect our spiritual life? Maybe you have been blessed with the privilege of marrying a godly husband or a godly wife. Maybe the person you've married is, was not that way, but they are becoming that, and you're grateful for God. Others are here, and perhaps they're praying and hoping that your mate will become a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ. And then there are others who, sadly, you know that your loved one just really isn't there at all. But whatever the case is, I encourage you to stay courageous for the Lord and to keep making those high standards for the Lord. And we salute every family that is doing like Jacobed and Amram. They are putting Jesus first. They are by faith hiding their child for the Lord. Mother's Day has always had a deep spiritual dimension. Motherhood is a sacred institution. It is a noble vocation. But women like Jacobin raised it to even a higher stature. This past week, if you happen to see the news or read a news clip there, you may have seen Missouri Democratic Congressman, Congresswoman Cory Bush derogatorily reduced mom to this mere birthing people. Not only is she absolutely wrong, I might say that's downright weird and even creepy. Who would say such a strange thing as that? But God set the matter straight here in verse 2. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 2. Look what it says. And the woman. Now let me just say a note right there. And the woman. It doesn't say man. Men can't give birth. The very word tells you that it has to be a woman because it is a womb. It is a woman. No man ever has had a womb. Now, they may say that they're a man, but I will tell you, and the woman can see. That is her most unique feature, is that she is able to conceive she has a womb. She bare a son. And when she saw him that was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Every conception is a miracle. God is involved. God blessed this couple three times. Aaron, Miriam, not especially a large family by Bible standards, but God blessed them. I will say this, whether you have none, or whether you have one, or whether you have one, even 20, I don't know. All children are from God. Every Christian mother knows, and every couple knows, that a mother and a father are partnered together in an ongoing work of creation. That's what we're told in the New Testament. Every believing woman knows that her child is an absolute gift to God. Because of that, no mother would ever even consider, no Christian mother would certainly never consider ending it in abortion. I am sure that Jacobet avoided things like Vices like smoking, alcohol, or any street drugs, anything that would be harmful to her body, to her mind, and to her, even to her spirit. Notice what it says in this verse, something kind of unique. It says that she saw him, that he was a goodly child. It's kind of an interesting phrase. 
Actually, the original language means nothing ordinary. This was not an ordinary child, it said. Well, she said something special about this baby boy. Now, of course, I think every parent feels that way, right? I mean, this is, not, this is a special child. Well, but I think the idea here is that she sensed God was going to use this child in a very special way. Couldn't put a finger on it. Couldn't give you any real reason. Just a sense of the Spirit that God had big plans for this child. And specifically, it appears that maybe God might use him to be a great help to her nation and to her people. Well, it says she hid him for three months. The reason was because of Pharaoh's ungodly edict. It's terrible when our leaders of our country and our government pass edicts to keep people from worshiping God or from following God. Terrible thing. In so doing, Jochebed with her husband Amram, by faith, consecrated their son to the Lord. They did all they could to cooperate with God's intended purpose. This was a goodly son. There was something unique about this boy. They knew we've got to do something to get into God's plan for his life. Next, they decide they are going to protect their son from the godless Pharaoh. And, you know, Christian mothers, Christian dads do everything they can to keep their children away from the evil forces. Bad programming. And again, unmonitored smartphones. False teaching. Masked as genuine, true history. And being Levites, we know that they were absolutely dedicated to serving God on a weekly basis. They were very faithful to the Sabbath. It was automatic, not even a question. They were religious people. They went to church, as it were. They went to the temple, the tabernacle. They went every single week. The study, the study released in 2018 by Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And here's what they found about children who attended church weekly. Religious upbringing, according to them, was directly linked to positive outcomes of their life in adult years. Of course, we know the spiritual benefits are great, but they said even the physical benefits and mental they said they definitely had a healthier lifestyle as adults. Less drinking, smoking, drug use, sexual promiscuity. In fact, here are some actual percentages. 18% of them uh, were then regular churchgoers. Uh, the regular churchgoers as children were happier. 29% tended to join more often in the community causes. And 33% stayed away from illicit drugs. A huge percentage increase. Well, frankly, what I've observed from the home church children and youth, while they're not perfect, of course, I will say that even a much higher outcome than what we saw in that little statistic. It is amazing what happens when children are given faith at an early age. She married a godly man. That's the first thing I see from Jacobin. Number two, she devised a trustful plan. Number two, she devised a trustful plan. She got intensely practical. Look at verse three. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him, an ark of bulrushes, a 
a little basket. She daubed it with slime, with pitch, kind of a tar, waterproof, put the child therein, and laid it in the flag, read by the river's head. And when that evil plan came along, to have all the midwives kill the male newborns failed. The Pharaoh then said, All right then, if you're not going to do what I tell you to do, I want to take every child and throw them in the Nile. You know, the anti-God, wicked agenda never stops. You can, folks, I remind you, it's never going to stop no matter what happens in the future. The devil, until he is thrown in the pit, it is going to be here for, for the long haul. Now, can you imagine trying to keep this baby quiet? you've ever been around babies, you know it's pretty hard to keep those babies quiet. And if you've ever worked in a church nursery, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or in the toddlers, it is impossible to keep those little children quiet all the time. You know, for several years, it was my privilege to watch the toddler department during the Mother's Day Sunday school session. Then they decided they didn't want me to do that anymore. I guess it's something about the fact you're not supposed to duct tape the babies to the wall or something like that. <laughs> but I must admit, I know how the fellow on the plane felt. They, he was asked if he could switch seats on the plane because he was sitting next to a crying baby. <laughs> but apparently they didn't allow him because when it's your own baby, you can't do that. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how I felt Monday, I'll tell you. Trying to keep a baby quiet, trying to keep little Moses quiet. It was a miracle that she kept him quiet for three months. But I'll tell you one thing, what practical, strong faith she had. Look what it says in verse 23. It says, they were not afraid of the king's command. They were not afraid of what that evil king would do. But if they had been found out, almost certain death to them. Both her, her husband, perhaps Miriam, Aaron as well, certainly the little child. Her choice to hide that little baby was a risk, but she came along a time when she realized when she could no longer do it. It was a hard choice, but she had to come up with a plan to do what she could to raise her son in a godly way. In like manner, our deepest admiration this morning goes to the parents who have made the hard choice, perhaps the home education. It's not easy. You may not be able to work out in the workforce like you would like to or have some sort of part-time or perhaps the high cost of Christian education. And you know that it's not easy to hide your child from all the things going on in the world. But of all the difficult choices, imagine what would happen, how she did what she could. She came up with a plan to hide that little child. Have you ever been there? You've been there in a place where it seemed like there were no easy choices. But the best choice you could do was, well, all I know we can do, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do whatever we could. It's costly. She had to purchase all the things necessary to make that little basket there. She carefully placed Moses in the reeds there, not apart from the current, maybe out of the, the burning uh, Egyptian sun there. And you can only imagine the feeling in her heart as she left that little baby in the basket. But I will say this. When she left her son in that basket, she wasn't just letting go. She was, as we might say, letting go, but she was letting God have that child. 
And really, all parenthood, all motherhood, all fatherhood is simply that. It is trusting God with a plan. It is saying, God, I have to trust you at this moment. Because really, that's all any of us can do. Speaking of Jeremiah in chapter 17, verse 7 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. You know, for many of us, I think for all of us, frankly, as parents, there are times when we can't see very far in front of us at all. You don't know what the future holds. And we have to let go and let go. When we let go and let God, then God's laws take over. And in this case, when we let God, it's not a pulling down, but it's a pulling up. God pulls that child to his breast. Because when we trust in God, like Jacobet and Andrew, we say, I'm letting go, but I'm letting God take this. Somehow, she married a godly man. She devised a trustful plan. And number three, she delegated a crucial task. I will say, Jacobet was not an influencer, at least in the sense of the internet. She wasn't a supermodel. She didn't have all the answers, but she was confident that God did. She wasn't too proud to ask for help. And she delegated her daughter some of the workload. That's a wise home. Look at verse 4. And his sister stood afar off to wish that she would be done to him. She entrusted her daughter with an important task, Miriam. And the greatest secret to raising any family is to be willing to share the workload. And thank God for those who come alongside families to help. But you know, inside of a family, especially large families, you see how that God just raises up children in the home. We've had a large family raising nine children. Many people just say, how is that possible? And we say, you know, it is can get a little challenging for a while. But as soon as some of those older ones start getting old enough, you know, to help a little bit, sometimes that's a lot younger than you might imagine. But as soon as they get a little older, you begin to have all these wonderful helpers. And, well, I tell you what, they take care of these children. And pretty soon... They begin to help others, and before long, you're not only, they're not only spreading the workload, but you're training them themselves for a future uh, life of their own with children. It's a beautiful thing that Jacobet did to entrust this with Miriam, and Miriam rose up for that. Look what it says in verse number five. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself in the river. And her maidens walked along by the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. Now, there's actually quite a historical debate on who Pharaoh's daughter actually was. It is suggested that she might have been Merit, one of the well-known Egyptian royalty, or Bitya, or the well-known and famous Hatshepsut, funny spelling there, or and if the Pharaoh at this time was Ramesses the second, really there's probably no way of knowing which daughter this was because he had 60 daughters. Well, um, whatever the case is, I will tell you this was. She had enough power and influence to keep him alive. And it says in the text that she went down to bathe in the Nile. Now, some folks might laugh at that thing. Nobody bathed in the Nile. Have you ever seen the Nile? Or pictures of the Nile? It's very muddy. It's a dirty river. Nobody bathed in the river. Well, even a 
little uh, muddy river, probably can bathe. But actually, the bathing here is not especially getting clean. It was more a religious bathing, kind of like they do in India and the Ganges River. It was to honor the god of Osiris. There they would go down and ceremonially dip in the water as a way of getting the blessings, you know, all over them. False, of course. Strange. But her attendants were walking along, keeping any unwanted people away, animals away, whatever. And then she happens to see a basket. She happens to see a basket. Actually, God helped her see that basket. Look at verse 6. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And he, she had compassion on him. And this is one of the Hebrew's children. It's interesting that the Hebrew linguists, the commentaries, say that the reading here is that she herself opened the basket. She herself reached down to the child. Nobody helped her. No, uh, no, that would be strange in and of itself. And it said that she had compassion. She saw this crying child, the Holy Spirit, pinched that little baby, and uh, little Moses started hollering, and she saw that and said she had compassion. Now, I just want to note that this is a huge part of the story. A woman, a courageous mother, having compassion. You know the irony in the world today? We live in a world of radical feminist groups, like the National Organization for Women, National Women's Political Caucus, the Women's Equity Action League, and they all mischaracterize pity as weakness. Sensitivity as a defect and compassion as something that they shouldn't have. They are all part of the I am woman, hear me war crowd. I will suggest that her godly compassion was not a weakness. It was a strength. This woman was a strong woman. I mean, she defied the most powerful man in the Eastern world. She defied Pharaoh himself. She was strong in the Lord. Those Hebrew midwives were strong in the Lord. Miriam was strong in the Lord. These are women of great influence. I want to tell you now, and I want you to listen. It's uh, not going to blow your mind away, but I will tell you, today there are tragic words, tragic philosophies being pushed upon our sons and our daughters in the state school system. Here is a pamphlet in some state schools, in some public schools, called Sisterhood is Powerful. And I quote, A woman who stays at home caring for her children and the house leads an extremely sterile existence. She is a parasite that can be described as legalized prostitution. My friends, that is what our sons and daughters are being taught out in this crazy liberal world we live in. My friends, that is, her compassion was not something that was bad. It was something that was wonderful. It was godly and beautiful. It was strength. It was courageous. She married a godly man. She devised a trustful plan. She delegated a crucial task. And number four, she received a wonderful gift. Wonderful privilege, beyond belief. She got to nurse her own child and with pay. Isn't that a kicker for all things? Verse 7, And said to his sister Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call for thee to nurse of a Hebrew woman? 
Miriam steps forward that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go! And the maid went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee wages. And the woman took, Jochebed took the child and nursed it. It says, At just the right moment, Miriam, the brother of Moses, the daughter of Jochebed, a woman after her mother's heart, it says Miriam stepped forward. Let me say that again. Miriam stepped forward. She was strong. She gladly accepted this opportunity to stand for the Lord. And of all things, she approaches Pharaoh's daughter and speaks to her and volunteers to serve to take care of a baby. And whom did she bring back? She brought back her own mom. I used to watch that wonderful Christian show, Andy Griffith show, you know, back in the day. Remember Golden Pile? Surprise, surprise. Can you imagine? I mean, brought back long. Jochebed just happened to be there, ready to nurse that child. Pharaoh's daughter just happened to be there, pick up the basket. Moses just happened along at that specific time. Miriam just happened to speak up, and all of it just happened. No. These were all privileges, opportunities created by faith in God. Faith in God, stepping out for God, creates opportunities for a blessing. And that's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every blessing comes as we step up for God. Yes, motherhood is an incredible privilege. We have uh, wonderful missionaries in the land of the Philippines, the Bala province. They were, for many years, members of our church, the Delosar, Felix and Norma Delosar. A wonderful couple. I love them and I miss them. But it's an interesting little statement that Felix used to make often to me. He said it once, he said it a hundred times for sure. Maybe he would uh, minister with his guitar, maybe he would work on a bus route. Maybe he would do this or that, and I would see him. I would uh, try to give him a good word, try to do the folks. And I would say, Phoenix, I really appreciate uh, you uh, stepping in here and helping in this area. And uh, almost to a time, he would say these words. Pastor, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. It is a privilege to serve God. And it is a privilege to be a parent. It is a privilege to stand for the Lord. It is a, an amazing privilege to be a servant of God. And my friend, she had a, received a tremendous privilege because she stood up for the Lord. God blessed her with all spiritual blessings. And then finally, not only did she marry a godly man, not only did she devise a trustful plan, and not only did she delegate a crucial task, but she received a wonderful privilege in number five, she surrendered a personal right. She surrendered a personal right. A Bible mom has to surrender her right. Yes, our moms do give up so much for us. The right, perhaps, of a beautiful physique. Maybe the right of a high-flying career. Certainly the right to peace and quiet. And probably the right to having any extra income expenses. 
Look at verse 10. The child grew, and they do. And she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. Moses, she said, because I threw him out of the water. Taken out of the water, his name. Jochebed gave her son to the Lord. She let go, let God. But she got Moses back. Only for a little while. Estimates were anywhere from three to five years that she was able to invest in Moses. I will tell you, you know what a hard thing it is for moms and dads to cut those apron strings. But she knew she only had a few short months, maybe three years, maybe five, but not much more than that. And in those limited preschool years, she made an impression on the life of Moses that lasted a lifetime. In fact, we're told in the book of Hebrews that he chose his family's way, he chose God's way over the world's way. And he only had three to five years preschool training was all he had for the Lord. And yet, God used that in his life greatly. What did Jacobed teach for sinners? I know she taught him about the great patriarchs, the faith of their fathers. She sure taught about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And I'll guarantee she taught him the promises of God's word. I believe that Moses probably had memorized so much of the Bible by the time he was five years old, more than many Christians do in their whole life. She had courage, and she taught him to have integrity and honor. She said, I want you to grow up and be a man who says what he means and means what he says. Courageous mom. A courageous mom yields their life to the Lord. A courageous mom yields their money to the Lord, their body to the Lord, their family to the Lord, their children to the Lord. We're here today, and all of us really have to do the same thing. All of us have to let go. We have to let go sometimes of our dreams, of our goals, and certainly have to let go of those that maybe are in our family, our children, but not let them go in the sense that we don't keep praying for them, hoping the best, and investing in the lives of God gives us the opportunity. Some of us once said, wisely, mothers begin saying goodbye the minute their children are born. Now the question I asked this morning is this. What do we do when we've done all we can do? And we've let go, and perhaps the baby we placed in the basket isn't saved by God. Or perhaps an illness isn't healed, or a job isn't destroyed. Courageous moms and dads just let go and say, you know what, I know that God is going to do something for His honor and glory. And that's exactly what Jacobet did. She gave her all to the Lord. She gave her very spirit. She gave her deepest thing she had. She gave her little son to God. Maybe that dream of ours isn't going to come through, but maybe it will. The key comes when we humble ourselves before God. And that's why it says in First Peter chapter 5, and verse 6, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. To be a courageous mother, we have to learn to humble ourselves. God, I really can't do anything about this child. I'll do all I can. I mean, I'll invest. I'll do what I can. But ultimately, Lord, I humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I know in due time, you're going to do a work. 
That's what you do. It really comes down to what Paul said in the book of Galatians. Crucified ourselves. Galatians 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Christ lives in me. One thing that all courageous moms, courageous dads have, they have that sense that with God's help, I yield myself and I yield my child to God. A courageous mom gives God everything. They let go. They let go. Our heads are bowed this morning. Eyes are closed. We're going to finish our service at this time. This morning, our worship team is coming and I've asked them to sing that wonderful chorus. I surrender. I, in my mind's eye, I look back and I see Jacobin. I see her kneeling before God and saying, God, I can't do anything else. God, I don't know what else to do. God, you're going to have to take care of my child. Oh, God, take care of my little Moses. God, I lay him in this water. The world, the water. I can't do everything for him. But oh God, I yield unto you. She simply held open her hand and said, Lord, I let you. He's in your hand. And at some point, all of us have to do the same thing. Really, our dreams, our hopes, for all of us, frankly. Once we humble ourselves before God, once we crucify ourselves, we open our hands and say, God, they're yours. In fact, Here's what I'd like to do right this moment. You're here. Have you yielded everything to the Lord? Have you surrendered and said, Lord, I just, I give you all. I'm tired of trying to run it all myself, like paying my finances. Lord, I just yield it to you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do as a, kind of as a token. Whether you're young or old, I'm going to ask you right now just to open your hands. Would you just right now open your hands and say, Lord, I yield to you. Lord, everything's yours. My hands are empty. Lord, I give it all to you. I give you my family. I give you my life. I give you my children. And Lord, like Jacobin, I want to be a courageous mom or dad. Oh God, I do what I can, but Lord, I'm just going to have to let go and let go. I'm going to pray for you. And then there's some of you, maybe you're not sure. For those of you that watch online, I just want you to know. Do the same thing in heaven. Just open your hands right now and say, Lord, I surrender. Do it, will you? Just say, Lord, I surrender right now. Or, have you been holding on to your own concept about how to get to heaven? You need to let go of that. Because the way that Jesus said is, I am the way, the truth of the way. You'll just pray this sinner's prayer as it's called. It'll be the greatest moment in your life. Here's the prayer. Whether you're here or watching online, pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I commit to you my life. I am a sinner, a lost sinner. I ask you to be my Savior. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.